This podcast is a proud member of the That Moment In Podcast Network. Check out the network at thatmomentin.com. Hello and welcome to the Asian Cinema Film Club. This is episode 24 and I'm your host as always, Edward Jones. Joining me as well, of course, is the professor, Mr. Stephen Palmer. <laughs> the professor says hello. <laughs> and uh, tonight we're also joined by our very special guest from Trenko Dreams, Game Warp, Moves in Tea. She's a lady of just many, many outlets for her talent. It is, of course, the one and only Miss Kim Lowe. Hi. <laughs> And tonight we are going to be talking about The Bullet Vanishes. This is a mystery thriller from 2012 and uh, is directed by Lo Chi Lung. I'm no doubt probably going to, you know, mess up some of these names as, well, always seems to be the case in the show. And uh, tonight Kim's no doubt going to be correcting us on that one. But, you know, we'll apologize in advance that if any we screw up any of these. But, I mean, how have we all been since we obviously got together last? I mean... We're now on 24. 25 is going to be our, a very special show, which we're obviously going to be talking about at the end of this episode, as we've got something really great planned. I mean, what's obviously been sort of holding your interest since the last episode? I mean, Stephen, what have you been watching, if anything? I haven't been watching anything Asian. I literally haven't seen a single Asian film since we last spoke, <laughs> which is all a bit embarrassing when you think I'm meant to be the professor. <coughs> um, but I have been obviously doing a lot of stuff on my other podcast with lots of other subtitled cinema and I guess I've been getting a lot of that in the bag so uh, lots of things but to be exposed later on okay because yes you got your currently doing your world tour podcast and it's was it Guilla Rambling's world tour that's right certainly if you go on our Facebook page or Twitter you can see that we we post up the episodes there as well so um, and I mean How's that going? I mean, what, has there been any sort of highlights or anywhere you're planning on going next, or is that all um, so a big mystery? I'm just trying to think. So, at time recording, um, last week I put out. Um, I really went, really went abroad and did a couple of British films um, with Nell and I and Prevenge. Um, off to France next with a with a Luc Besson, and I'll also look at Amelie. Um, so I've got a few more sort of individual countries to visit. And then I think I'm going to do some more genre themes. So I've got um, I've got an episode planned on some extreme cinema. Hence why you might have seen I finally got round to watching uh, Salo or 120 <laughs> Days of Sodom, which I feel all kind of Zoe right now. <laughs> uh, I know she she's uh, she has mentioned it on one or two occasions, much like a Serbian film and. Uh... I I think maybe you need to obviously, you know, have a sit down and and get Zoe's thoughts on that one because I feel that you're going to be coming from it from very different places. And I think I think you could be quite right about that. But yeah, so I think I think I'll do, I'll do sort of like twelve episodes. I'll have on different countries, and then um, I'll do some more sort of genre related stuff. And I'm 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 sort of three episodes ahead of where I thought I would be. So that's quite cool. That's exciting. Yeah, definitely. Um, Kim, have you ever seen Solo, or is that a, a, a pleasure still to await yourself? I, I don't know what it is. <laughs> okay. Keep it that it's, way, Kim. Uh, <laughs> Keep it that way. <laughs> some call it art, some call it smut. 
It depends on which side of the fence you uh, happen to be coming from. It. It's based on a classic erotic text, and uh, yeah, it's it's an eye-opening experience to say the least. I know that many people have said many different things. Some people really think it's fantastic, and other people say it's kind of boring. So, uh, you know, something to look forward to there for you. <laughs> okay. But I mean, have you been? What's your sort of movie watching been? Like, have you seen anything interesting recently, or... Well, I mean, I've been doing the Valentine's Marathon, so I've been watching a lot of romance. <laughs> I just watched the other Boleyn Girl, which I did not enjoy. And then, I mean, there's things I discovered, like, in, um... You know, I was, ta- I was talking about it in a, a post before. Uh, I watched um, the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society, which I like, you know. And, you know, the normal the stuff, like... In regards to, like, Asian cinema, I've been watching a lot of TV, so, like, Asian TV. So <laughs> okay. And is there any particular sort of series that, I mean, we should be watching? Because we're now in this real sort of boom for, like, Asian shows coming over and through, like, services such as, like, Netflix especially. And we've seen a couple come on Amazon Prime have started picking up these shows. And it's been really weird why they suddenly started, started picking them up. Because I thought it was just sort of like a little niche thing that Crunchyroll were running on their site. And... Now Netflix have really got in on the game, and I mean they've got in real hard. I mean there's quite a big catalogue of shows that they're bringing across there. I don't know how current these shows they, are, but uh, they're pretty current. I mean to be fair, most of the shows that Netflix has is actually for free on YouTube. Um, I just don't know if they're subbed in English yet because they're kind of really behind. They kind of like release the episode and then they sub it like the week after. So a lot of people okay. complain about that, and then it's, like, really weird, because I know there's a show that just started that I'm watching right now, and I was reading the comments, and people were talking about, oh, uh, the subs is off sync with the actual conversation. So, I don't know. <laughs> um, I don't watch it with subtitles. <laughs> they have so. a little... Yeah, I know you're obviously in the, the beneficial position of being able to obviously speak the native tongue, so it's unlike uh, ourselves, who have to obviously pay attention to these things, but then again... I don't know when it comes to subtitles, you kind of have a bit of leeway with it. I don't know what your thoughts are, Stephen, when it comes to subtitles, but whether it syncs up or not precisely with the dialogue, I I never has been something that I sort of really concern myself with. What about yourself, Stephen? I like it to have be at least sort of the person that's talking that their words are on the page. It kind of depends, though, doesn't it? Because if something's really quite sort of dialogue heavy, um, you spend quite a lot of time reading that and not looking what's actually going on with mouths and stuff anyway it's at some of the sort of the lighter frothier stuff it becomes um it becomes a bit more distracting when you're able to do both at the same time yeah i certainly find that having a a dub track for anime really helps because when you're faced with like 90 odd episodes to read in subtitles it can be a bit of a slog um and if you've got a nice dub track it means you can you know you can have it on in the background when you're you know cleaning and it really helps, and that's only been the case for myself. I mean, I've just recently started climbing that anime Everest that is Dragon Ball Z, because every other sort of Asian media podcast out there, like Blake and Luke and Thieves or uh, Anime Nostalgia, they constantly talk about Dragon Ball Z, and I never saw Dragon Ball Z as a kid. I don't know about yourself, Stephen, but for them, it was like this big childhood thing that it was always on like Toonami and stuff. And I was growing up in a household that only had four channels and none of those were showing Dragon Ball. So it's now taken me at the old ripe old age of 36 to now finally try and 
get through all 262 odd episodes of this show, not including like the 37 movies that they created to fill in seasons and all the rest of that uh, sort of fun stuff. And currently I'm 10 episodes in and there's some really random stuff that I'm not sure if it goes over the heads of people as kids, but so far our hero Goku has been killed. So he's in the heaven dimension and that's five episodes in. And then he got challenged to a game of Russian roulette. And there's a very sort of borderline racist looking character called Mr. Popo, who kind of reminds me of the gollywog off the old um, marmalade jars. Who's just basically like a black silhouette with these two white eyes and a turban. I'm not sure if that's actually racist or not, because he's come, he's obviously like a, a god, a deity sort of character. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of interesting questions being raised, and it's uh, a bit of a slog still ahead of me. So, but didn't, I mean, did any of you guys watch Dragon Ball Z, or you, it's just something that never interested you? Well, I think a bit like you. It's a bit overwhelming to even start. Um, <laughs> not not just you know you you could watch the anime, you could read the manga collections. There's <laughs> films. There's um there's even a couple of computer games, aren't there, out there? And I wouldn't even oh yeah I wouldn't even know games. where to start. And having two hundred and eighty odd episodes facing me would be that'd be a bridge too far for me. I'm afraid. <laughs> Well, I've got that, and I mean, I've still got One Piece, that's 400 episodes, and counting, they're still making those. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 it's like one of those things, I feel that until I've seen it, it's going to be like one of those like grey areas in my sort of uh, knowledge as an anime fan. And, uh, you know, it's it's not bad, it's, I mean, they're pretty short, they're only about 30, 20 minutes uh, a piece, so you can, you can, once you get into the flow of the fact that you're going to be watching someone power up to do a move for like three or four episodes so they really sort of pad out these uh these episodes so the fight scenes can take like eight episodes to happen um it's it's not the quickest of uh anime pacing but you know there's some fun characters and interesting moments as we've said already and i'm kind of interested to see where it goes and i'm still of the mind whether i'm going to do it all in one go or whether i'm just going to break it up and do it by season I'm really not too sure at the moment yet, so uh, you know, watch this space. And uh, if you follow our Twitter and Facebook, I do post some random thoughts and things that uh, obviously come up as uh, as they appear there. So I will hopefully uh, have some form of write up at some point uh, of my experience as a noob watching Dragon Ball. But in terms of anime, I also wrapped up Goblin Slayer, which was uh, thankfully only about 12 episodes long, uh, a lot easier to get into, and there's a really nice dub out there as well for that, which makes all the difference. But if you like fantasy anime, Goblin Slayer is probably a really big recommend from the last anime season. Um, just a really great show, even though there is some questionable moments of sexual violence in there in that first episode, which has sort of got a lot of people riled up and just really casting a lot of judgment on the show even before they've got into the show and i think if you're sort of a bit squeamish about that sort of thing especially with anime then you know skip to episode two and just go from there and you should be fine so but um yeah i mean that's about it for i, mean, I think it's been a pretty quiet month all around i've got i keep saying i've got all these things to watch like i've got the uh piper i've got um i've got all these uh bits i keep saving on the box to watch i just never seem to find the time to watch them and it's just really kind of embarrassing so i'm trying to 
stop watching so much drac on TV and trying to watch more films at the moment and uh, trying to clear that off. So hopefully, you know, touch wood, I will have some more films to talk about on the next episode. Obviously, tonight uh, we are talking about the bullet vanishes. I mean, Kim, this was your recommendation. <laughs> of, I okay, you recommended several films for us to to discuss in this one, and this is the one we went with. Yes. Um, what was it about uh, the bullet vanishes that that really sort of held your your interest here? It, it's just really up my alley. Like, um, I like well, first and foremost, I'm a big fan of Nicholas Tse, so. <laughs> That was the. Oh, that's why we're watching this. <laughs> so that was why I actually I think all the choices I gave you was with him in it. So I don't remember, but it might have been. Um, but yeah, no, I I really like this one. I I picked this up because I wanted to watch you know his movies. There was a time I was catching up with his movies, and then this one was surprisingly good. Like it was a lot better than I expected because it's kind of like I really like that mystery thing. That kind of like you know. Um, investigating and kind of the humor of it and everything just really works together even though like as i watch it a second time now i'm seeing all these like these kind of like um parallels with a lot of i guess some hollywood scenes and stuff like that um but i think it's i think it's pretty good like i think it's a really clever movie okay i mean if uh, those not obviously familiar with the film as we said already it's a hong kong mystery film and very much in the vein of Sherlock Holmes, as we follow the detective, um, who's sorry, the inspector uh, called uh, Song Dong Lu, who's the basically the Sherlock Holmes sort of character the, of the uh, piece. He's got these very unique methods of um, solving crimes, and this is whole sort of approach to uh, to crime and criminology in particular is just very unique and uh, he's teamed up with Nicholas Tissé's character uh, Captain Gu Zhu um, who's not only a detective but also a gunslinger as well and they're basically sent in to the, investigate these mysterious shootings that are happening in a bullet factory which the workers believe is relating to a curse um, of the phantom bullet and it's basically these two, two go in and they're trying to find out why these bodies keep turning up they've been clearly shot but they can never find any bullets and whether it is actually this mysterious phantom bullet that all the workers are claiming is responsible for these deaths as i said this is a real sort of fun little mystery romp uh, very much there's the veins of Sherlock Holmes to it and in particular I think if you watch it and you've seen the Guy Ritchie Sherlock Holmes you're probably going to draw a lot of comparisons there um, but Stephen I mean is this the first time you watched yourself or have you seen this one before? Nah, so it was the first time for me which is surprising um, I think <coughs> I had a bit of confusion about which film we were actually watching which is why I spoke to you last week <coughs> about it but it's really weird that I haven't seen it because I'm a big fan of the director. In fact, he's one of the few directors I think I've seen just about every film he's ever made. Um, okay. I'm a big fan of Nicholas Tsai. I'm a big fan of Sean Lil. Um I even like um, Yang Mi, the, the, who plays one of the main female characters. So I'm really surprised a film from 2012 I hadn't picked up before. And also, I like a detective drama as well. So it had all the sort of combinations and characters and actors and so on and so forth that I should should have really loved this. I'm sensing that you didn't, though. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think... I think it's what Kim alluded to and that you, you also mentioned that 
it seems to draw on a lot of tropes, especially from sort of 2000s Hollywood films, like mm-hmm. the Guy Ritchie Sherlock Holmes films, that I kind of already knew. You know, the, 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 the detective who does things to himself to learn about the world. I mean, I'm sure, so quite early on, Sean Lau's character um, hangs himself to work out yeah. what happens. And I'm sure I've seen that in another film before. They did the thing about, oh, is it an ice bullet? I've seen that on CSI, and and and, and I just felt a lot of these things weren't fresh and new to me. So even though I thought it was incredibly well acted and absolutely gorgeous to look at, I mean, it's uh, in terms of sort of the sets and the characters. And of course, the other thing I love is 1930s uh, China, Shanghai, and places like that. I just love that whole look sort of that westernized asian look that, that's going on there so i i really feel all the components are in place for me to absolutely adore it but actually i thought the execution was a bit meh you see i'm i mean i'm coming from this place a, a complete opposite place because i absolutely adored this this is like i've just really uh enjoyed this the whole ride from start to to finish and yes i obviously saw the comparisons to other properties but at the same time i find myself like constantly when it comes to asian cinema that asian cinema manages to do both like the sherlock holmes style mysteries those we saw with things like detective d and westerns just really well and i find myself enjoying these asian counterparts a lot more than the western counterparts like i can't stand hot normal westerns i find it the most boring genre yet if you give me an eastern western so something like um, the good, the bad, and the weird. Um, um, Takashi Miike's western. Um, was it Shizuki Western Django? Um, or perhaps to a lesser extent, Let the Bullets Fly uh, with Charlie and Fat. I just really think they're fantastic uh, films. Just how they're paced, how they look, and just the style of them. And here with the bullet vanishes, we get this weird, almost like amalgamation of the two. Of the two styles because obviously we have the gunslinger character um here played by nicholas tease and and at the same time we've obviously got that you know that detective d angle uh here played by lu cheng wan oh sorry lu ching wan am i saying the right yeah game? okay cool um uh, who i just said, call him this... sean <laughs> it's much easier okay <laughs> who's obviously as you said he's doing all these sort of like quick things I, I, the fact that it opens to him pretty much him hanging himself and I thought oh is he like a suicidal detective but no he's just like got this whole method and there's this real there's this fun little sequence where he's uh, arguing with his assistant over the fact that his assistant was supposed to come and rescue him but his son time got stuck so he's just basically managed to self hang himself and just even like the simple scenes where he's there uh, talking to um, this woman who's who who murdered her husband uh, from what we assume is an earlier case, and he visits her in prison. He's trying to understand why she killed her husband and and how she did it. And just those scenes in particular, I thought were just they just constantly find ways to add to these characters, especially. And then we sort of combine it with this cast of real real odious villainous types who make up like the owner and the goons of the. Uh, at the bullet factory and it's just it just all keeps adding adding up we have all these wonderful elements as you said already we've got like 1940s sorry 1930s um what's supposed to be uh shang 
Um, it's not Shanghai, is it's it? It's a Tian Tianchang. Thank you. And the the nineteen thirties look, which as you said already, is doing it's very sort of distinctive, and it just looks absolutely fantastic, especially here. The actual set design, the costume design, just everything across the board just looks so sumptuous and immersive. Uh, so yeah, it's just a, it's a shame that you didn't like this more. I mean, just looking at these sort of characters. I mean, what did you obviously make of them? I mean, did you find too much of an odd couple pairing, or uh, do you think that they sort of work well together? I'll pass it over to Kim first. I think I get where Stephen is coming from, but because I had like the same sort of feeling when I watched it, but I think I'm a little more forgiving because I I watched so much like um, Hong Kong stuff that especially like. When it comes to like TV series and stuff like that, Hong Kong has this like kind of concept of they always seem to be taking a- away like the best parts of Hollywood and then trying to inject it into their own films, um, especially like in in like genres where they're not. I guess like they're still learning or whatnot. And a lot of like say um, directors tend to like to like to do that a lot. And I don't know. I mean. I, I was okay with it. I think the oddest part of this was the romance. Um, it didn't really make any sense, and it wasn't really, like... It felt, like, really just... You know, I like... I like the Yang Mi character. Um, she played, what, uh, yeah. Little Lark or something like that? That's her name? Yeah, that's yeah. right. And um, she... Like, Yang Mi is very popular. Like, uh, put aside, like, she, her big controversy right now going on in, in China. But... Like, um, the deal is, like, Yang Mi, when, like, I haven't seen Yang Mi, like, I didn't realize it was Yang Mi, actually, in this movie, um, because I don't watch a lot of, like, I didn't know Chinese, um, like, China actresses, like, mainline China actors. But, yeah, no, I really liked her character, but it felt like the moment, like, it was, like, suddenly there was this, like, scene with her and Nicholas Tay, and then you were just kind of, like, uh, okay, so out of place. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> no, I, I, I absolutely agree with you. In fact, I'm going to go a step further, and I think it's a bit cynical, really. Um, and I think this is a bit of a problem with Hong Kong cinema, but much more recently, is unfortunately it needs the Chinese money. Yeah. So, you know, Nick Say, Sean Lau... Uh, well, Nick Say is a, is a massive Asian, Pan-Asian star. Sean Lau has got uh, a host of leading roles, although he's probably not your archetypal, handsome leading man. But they've brought in Yang Mi to... Because, I mean, she's huge. She's like one of the four biggest actresses in mainland China, yeah? Yeah, currently, exactly. Yeah. Like, right now, she's huge. So that's why her divorce was such a big deal. Indeed. And she's... You know, so, so she's almost in this film, and you see this a lot in sort of the last ten years of Hong Kong cinema. There's always a Chinese woman, a, a mainland Chinese actress, to bring in that money. And I kind of, I found her character quite interesting because it sort of starts off saying she's mystical, and then shows out that actually she's just a, a watcher of people and things like that. And then there's this, this weird sort of romance element, like you say, which just was from nowhere. And nothing's ever really done with her. And on the other hand, you have the other female character, um, Jiang Yan's character, which you talked about, Elwood, who's like this killer who's in prison, who has this relationship with Sean Lau that they don't ever really explore. And clearly, mm. we're being set up for the sequel, which is exactly what has happened, I believe. Um, I was much more interested in that than this strange little pretty people romance that was going on. 
And I think I was disappointed that the wrong notes maybe were sometimes explored. Yeah, and I almost felt almost like Nick Say was also in the film just to make sure it got made. It, 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 I, I didn't feel he was as connected to the main plot as he might ought to be. Although, obviously, as it turns out, he is. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you say they're in Nick Say's character, but, and I mean, yes, I mean, we could obviously cut him out, but. He's sort of like the muscle of the group. I mean, we've got this this combination. We've got the brains and we've got the the muscle, which is obviously Nick Nick Say's character. And he has moments where he sort of gets gets a chance to sort of excel and show off his skills, such as we've got uh, the scene where the goons are sent after sent to go and rough little Lark up, because she's obviously been tipping him off about what's been happening at the bullet factory, and they go to uh, rough her up, and he gets his whole sort of long gate chase sequence culminating in a I don't know how to describe it it's sort of like a um, a duel almost with one of these thugs and how he has to like work out the range of his, his pistol and how far it can go and just these real sort of crack shot elements that we get to see throughout the film there's another really good shootout as well towards the end and I mean I just really like those moments that he gets to shine and show off his skills uh, even though he constantly has to constantly tell us that he's the fastest gunman, <laughs> and so like, do, do you need to open with that? Is this like your one claim to fame is that you just happen to be the fastest gunman in this town? I don't need to be told it constantly. You've already established this at the start of the film. I don't need it another four or five times as we go along. And I, as I said, I just never felt that any of these characters were sort of like there just to sort of pad things out to provide the you know. The pretty people romance, as you said, Stephen. Um, I mean, I found it kind of touching, you know, the the romance between Little Lark and uh, Gazoo, uh, and Nicholas character, because you know it it worked. They have good chemistry together, and it's like, well, why not? Even though I did think she was blind originally. <laughs> yeah, that 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 was the trick that she was playing, wasn't it? Yeah. But um, <laughs> but did you did you not feel I don't really know any of these people? That you know, Nick Say's character is is absolutely defined by I'm the fastest gunslinger in town. <laughs> yeah, and that I know nothing about Little Lark other than that she fancies Gal. I know, you know. <laughs> um, there's the other character. There's the um, there's the local policeman who's sort of like a bit bumbly that's learning from Sean Lau's character as well, who yeah. gets killed off three quarters of the way through the film. Yeah, but. Yeah, and that, but I was kind of interested in him, and there was this, this weird sort of funny little romance going on between him and the um, the, the coroner. Yeah, yeah the coroner. And I, yeah. and I, I kind of into that, and I thought, oh, there's something there, but nothing was ever. I don't think I think it was ever finished or played out properly, and actually, it was probably hurt because there were so many characters in the film that we never really got to know any of them as well as I'd have liked. Okay. I, I think that you know. I feel that the characters were okay, but I think that the movie really tried to focus on, like, I felt like what they was trying to do was it was trying to create a lot of misdirection by giving these characters kind of, like, the sense of mystery. That's why they didn't, like, dive deeper into the characters, because it wasn't about them. It was just about, like, figuring out, like, you would learn about the abilities of all your characters as they're solving this mystery. I'm okay with that, you know? I'm, I feel that that's okay, and I really like, like, you know, there was, like, this bromance that kind of happened between, like, um, between, like, Nicholas Say and Sean Lau. Um, I thought that, you know, they, I, I felt like it really worked out. And as a misdirection, I actually, I was re-watching this, and I completely, like, forgot the ending. 
completely forgot about it. And I got like, I was like surprised all over again. So I don't know. I mean, I can't, I can't knock it for the mystery. I mean, that side of it, I think, was actually done quite well. There's a, there's a cast of lots of people. Is it this person? Is it that person? Are you pretty sure they're in on it? But actually, it turns out they're not. And then people get killed off before the final act that you thought were going to be the big bad, you know. So bits of it, I think, are executed really well. Um, so purely in that regard, in terms of a twisty-turny mystery sort of thing, I thought that was actually done rather well. For myself, the mystery is so engrossing. I don't really need these characters to be fleshed out other than to know that they have possessed certain skills or they play particular roles within the within this mystery and just how the mystery sort of develops because i mean it breaks it down into all these sort of like you have this one big mystery of obviously how these people are getting shot and then at the same time you've got all these smaller mysteries such as how the owner of the the bullet factory is able to you know play this game of russian roulette which they call fate of the heavens um how he's able to play play this uh game and not blow his own head off that was a really fun sort of mystery how we how they did it i'm not gonna i'm gonna try and avoid spoilers here so if the, this film sounds of interest in you that one you still will be able to obviously enjoy uh enjoy the mystery and you know how you can get a chopstick out of a glass bottle without touching the bottle or breaking the bottle that's another fun fun mystery that i was i mean i spent a large portion of the film trying to figure that out i don't know about yourselves whether you figured it out straight away but just I found myself like while this bigger mystery is being played on, I'm still trying to figure out how to get this bloody chopstick out of the bowl. Man, <laughs> um, that's just me. And the only thing, part that I didn't particularly like is when we get to the end, and we get this this sort of final twist, and it just felt very tacked on. It's sort of like we solved the mystery, so why are we now like potentially killing off what could have been a really interesting sort of franchise by tacking on this sort of like epilogue to the story which didn't need to be there and that was the only time I found some issue I mean I loved the whole mystery I loved how it was solved and the fact that it's not making these huge leaps in logic in order to make it work and to tie all the pieces together everything's very sort of logical and it's got plausibility to it even though I'm not sure if certain aspects of it would work in real life or not and certainly in case of the bullets I have to wonder I would need someone who knows physics and, you know, guns to tell me if if how bullets work in this film, whether they would work the same in real life. I think there's probably a Wikipedia deep dive in that one. I mean, how do we feel about that that last ending? I don't have a problem with it. I thought I thought like I thought it was really clever to do it that way. And it kind of like pieces together some of the conversation that they were having and some like odd lines because, you know, Sean Lau's character was was very like cryptic when he talked. And he would always, like, leave things out. And, and then, like, at the end, it was kind of, like, pulling everything together. And then it kind of made sense. Like, maybe a part of it was kind of, like, a little bit, you know, a little bit, uh, st- uh, just a little bit stretched out and dragged on for too long. Uh, but, I mean, I think that it was a good ending. Especially because, you know, it kind of changes from, like, the, the normal sort of style of Hong Kong films that usually go. Where it's always, like, you know kind of like a okay ending it was kind of like because it you know what it did was that it was like it answered the question i think it gave sean lao kind of like this thing at the beginning when he was talking with um with the the woman in jail and uh and and he was talking about you know uh they were saying well why do he's always looking at why do good people do bad things um what makes a good person go bad 
And at the end, it's like he burns that paper and it, it's kind of like just that one page he burns. And it seems like whatever went down at that final twist, like, really changed his perspective of kind of like, I guess, humanity and the good in people. Stephen, I mean, did you have any thoughts on the the ending at all? I mean, did you think it worked or do you think it's tacked on? Where's your, where's your substance? I didn't think it was tacked on. I think, you know, as Kim sort of rightly said, it was hinted at all the way through. There was there was weird shit going down with one of the characters we're not going to talk about and some of the actions that they did and sometimes when they turned up at places um, that, that it all came good. And Sean Lau was clearly, his character clearly knew quite early on because he said something which was a bit weird. So I knew how to get the chopstick out of the bottle, but it was a bit that, the bit that was playing with me. Well, good for you. No, no. Because <laughs> again, I'm sure I've seen that in a film before. It was that was another example <laughs> of something I think. Because I'm usually rubbish at that kind of thing. So what, how do I know that? But he said something about oh, and there's a, there's a question about the three of us, and it sort of left out there, and so it kind of made sense to me at the end, and it makes sense that why certain members of this cast are in this film um and it is very hard not to spoil it but it had a bit it did have a bit of detective d about it where you have a very big chinese star in a film that seemingly is playing the second character yeah and therefore actually there's more to their character than you would think i think i've spoiled it by saying that but you know what i mean I think we're, I think we're safe. I mean, I did obviously think that uh, that uh, Nicholas Tate's character he was going to go out as like the heroic death when we when we have this huge explosion in the bullet factory and it's shot so gratuitously slow mo it would make the Wachowskis blush. Um, <laughs> I've never seen like a, I didn't I think, know they were. If... I think that bothered me more than anything else in the movie. I think that <laughs> bothered me. That was like that was like so exaggerated. I can tell. Are they blowing them up for real? Because I know Hong Kong hasn't really got a a good legacy of having health and safety when it comes to the safety performance. Or is this CGI? Or I mean, I I wasn't sure what was if it was uh, shot for real or not. But it looked really cool. Apart from like the rippling jowls of uh, <laughs> of uh, Shaw Jang. Now, Kim, I mean, you obviously were saying there's some controversy at the moment. Uh, surrounding Yang Mi. Well, it's not—it's not controversy. It's just like her divorce became a really big deal, and then it was like last year. It was like the, the end of like the end of the the end of like 2018. They were like I don't know, looking back at stuff or something, or I don't know because I, I wasn't following it. Like I don't follow actor and actresses' divorces. You know, like it's yeah. not—it's not my focus. But it was like blowing up my like my Weibo account. So it was like everyday news alert, and it was just talking about that. And I was just like, okay, fine. Because I, like, because before Yang Mi, like, before I knew Yang Mi, I knew her ex-husband, like, as in, like, Howick Lau is, like, a really popular Hong Kong star. Like, he was in a lot of TV series back then. And, like, I like his singing and stuff like that. So, it was really, like, I really liked that actor. I didn't, I just didn't know that, well, celebrity, I guess. I just didn't know that, you know, they were married and then they were divorced by the time I got into Chinese, like, actual, like, last year when I got into, like, um, Chinese movies and TV series and stuff like that. Yeah. I'm constantly surprised at the amount of scandal that's in the the Hong Kong film industry and, and just through doing the show. I mean, it, true, 
There's not perhaps not so much scandal surrounding the actors as there was when we looked at the twin effect on the last episode, um, but it's certainly with the female actors in this this film. They all seem to have scandals of some part. Because I mean, we look at uh, Yumiko Cheng, who played the coroner in this film. She's had, I mean, she's obviously started off as a singer and then moved into acting, uh, but her career was sort of like had numerous occasions of wardrobe malfunctions. Which, I mean, am I right in saying that in in sort of Hong Kong, it's sort of more frowned upon to have a wardrobe malfunction and just nudity in general. Well, I mean, definitely in China, that's bad. Yeah, like in, in mainland China, that's yeah. bad. In Hong Kong, I think like it would be frowned upon, but it, they're a little bit more open-minded. They, they um, have the scandal rags, though. You know that would that yeah. would make yeah. a big deal about it. But I think you can probably survive. Yeah. But in in China proper, I mean, don't pay your taxes, you disappear for four months. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and then you come back, and uh, you come back, and then you do this very uh, rehearsed sort of letter to the public. Yeah, very yeah. contrite. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, of course, yeah. you, you you talk about scandal, and you know, you talk about the female characters. Of course, we've got Nick Shay here, who um, boy toy of Fei Wong, and then married <laughs> to Cecilia Chung, and then. Left his wife to go back with Fei Wong again. I mean that. that oh come on, that was years like in between, right? Uh, I think he was but, technically still married to Cecilia when he went back to Fei. But um, I don't know. I think I think that I think that the whole like Edison scandal did drive something between them. Oh, in indeed. Opinion. Yeah, indeed. I think that that was like right after that scandal. I think things started going downhill. But it's just they stayed together. That's it, my yeah. analysis of it. Like. I think that Nicholas Tse has come a long way, though. Um, I mean, I, I follow a lot of his stuff. And, like, I mean, he started out when he was 18. And it was kind of like this bad boy thing. And then, I mean, he obviously had his own scandal because he got... Um, he ended up getting, like, X hundred days of, of community service. And then that caused a big scandal because there was this big corruption thing about him crashing his car with drunk driving and then... And then a bunch of stuff. Multiple like, cars. It's not just the one. He had like a, a, well, a period about three, four years where he seemed to be constantly in car accidents. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he, he crashed his car and it was like a DUI. And then what happened was that, uh, what happened was that apparently, I, what, I, what I understand is that they had a cop who agreed to, it was like someone who agreed to give him a pass. And then it was found out. And then he was like, and then it was like, it was like he felt it was like and then, like he didn't even like he didn't think it was wrong or something or think he could get away from it I yeah. guess, and he didn't and then he ended up getting community service and then the cop got like I think two years or something like that and then it was like this really big deal because people were like oh wow how come he has so little and then the cop gets so much and it's him who caused <laughs> it's this big scandal thing that happened but I mean when he came back out he became like when he finished like the community service and all that stuff it felt like he was. He's really grown, and with and if you listen to like his business talk about like the company, his post production company that he built and stuff like that, he's really grown as a person, and he's like he sounds like a really good employer as well. So I don't know. I mean, I think that he's, I think that he's grown. Like I've, well, I've seen him since he started at eighteen, and now he's like you know almost he's like he's like I think thirty eight or something now. No, he's, you're absolutely right because you know stardom was thrust upon him at a very young age, and let's not forget, like all Hong Kong actors, you know he's got multiple strings to his bow. I mean, now he's isn't he um like a chef or something as well? 
Uh, yeah, he yeah. yeah he um, has a he has a China Chinese um, mainland China show where he cooks and then he goes like I saw like a snippet of it one day. I didn't but, watch but, it, but by all accounts, he's actually quite talented. Yeah, <laughs> so he is. He's, um, so it's, I, 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 I really like him. I mean, he's he's done some great films, and but I think you're absolutely right. The point is, is that fame was thrust upon him before he was ready for it, and unlike maybe um, other young people who've done wrong in Hong Kong cinema and shown no contrition, I think he 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 has, and he's grown, and he's 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 probably better for it. I think so. I think so, and, and I mean, like, I say that out of like the fact that I, you know, I've admired a lot of his work, like starting from when he was doing music to like movies, and he talks about, you know, when he does about does films and stuff. He actually, you know, he's very like Jackie Chan, where he like really wants to learn all these stunts and do it himself. So, like, I th- I think he's very talented. He's gone a really long way. So, I mean, okay. it's it's nice to see that like he's done a lot of really decent films on top of that. Okay, I mean, obviously, since we got you on the show, and as an admirer of his work, um, what sort of stands out in his filmography that you would recommend for people to obviously check out? Uh, there's a lot, so give me a second <laughs> while I go. That's okay. Go to can I can I throw a couple in? <laughs> yeah, you can throw throw some in there, Stephen. So, um, the Stool Pigeon. Mm. Okay. Yes, that's a good um, one. Bodyguards and Assassins. Yes, also one I would suggest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Stool Pigeon especially, that's, um, that's I think, is that the sort of the second in three really fantastic films that Dante Lamb did, along with The Beast Stalker. Um, Nick Chung, I think, said a lot of them as well. But Nick, Nick Chung, that, um, Bodyguards and Assassins is what I was going to, one of the films I think of pairing this up with. It's a bit of more of an ensemble piece, but Nick, Nick kind of holds it together. Um yeah. What else? Um, I would I would suggest one of his earliest roles, um, Gen X Cops. Mm-hmm. That one's a good one. Um, and uh, the Fireman one that came out in 2014, as the light goes out, is pretty good too. Is it Sean, Sean Lau's in that as well, isn't he? I'm pretty was it, sure. It was. Um, oh no! So Sam Simon Yam. Yeah, Simon Yam. Yeah. And Sean Yu, and yeah, no, that's that's really good as well. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of a backdraft. Uh, for Hong Kong. Okay. I'm surprised none of you uh, mentioned Dragon Tiger Gate, uh, the Don Yen movie, which really sort of uh, marked Yen coming to the prominence as sort of like the main martial artist of choice and sort of surpassing Jet Li as he was sort of went from doing Dragon Tiger Gate and then went on to like the Ip Man film. So I'm really surprised that neither of you uh, obviously mentioned that one, but. Yeah. I mean, I uh, I don't know. I mean, I I would mention a a lot more before that one because I wasn't a big fan of it. Uh, okay. Yeah. So I think that's why it kind of like slipped through for me because if it, even before that I would go for like New Police Story or Invisible Target yeah. or Beast Stalker or something like that before I would go to that. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, obviously, just uh, you said already, Stephen. He's a man of many many talents, and this always seems to be the way when we look at actors in Hong Kong. Uh, certainly like Hong Kong Chinese cinema they, you can't just be one an actor you have to have many strings to bow and I think he may have won the longest list because he's an actor martial artist singer songwriter entrepreneur and chef um, and as you said already Kim he's a TV chef and food critic as of 2014 even picking up the Friends of Michelin award for his cooking which is given to non-professional chefs but I think that would have obviously changed if you said he's got a restaurant now so and Kim obviously likes him because he's actually Canadian 
but that's <laughs> <laughs> has nothing to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> but does he actually live over in Canada, or is he just no, he like, in China. carry a passport? Nah. He lives in China. <laughs> yeah, he's born. He was born know. in Hong Kong, but his nationality is yeah. Canadian. Okay. Yeah, I'm not sure how that works. Yeah, you can like, have that. How does he if, he? if he's born in China, how can he be his nationality be Canadian? One it imagines. Works. Imagine it it's one of his parents. <laughs> so there is a sequel. Um, I haven't seen the sequel. I'm interested enough to go and watch the sequel because I think that concentrates okay. more on the um, on the other on, on the other crime and the and the lady escapes and. Um, what what's the sequel? I didn't know there was a sequel. Um, the prisoner vanishes. The prisoner vanishes. Yeah, the prisoner vanishes because <laughs> it's the direction they chose to take with these. Uh, these sequels, it's not been rated very highly from what I can see on Letterboxd. People don't seem to have liked it as much as this one. Um, okay, okay. Also, um, you can also find it under The Vanished Murderer. Oh, yeah, The Vanished Murderer. Yeah, that was the one I found, yeah. Um, so, uh, you can obviously find, find that out. It says, again, it's still directed by uh, Lo Chi Lung, mm-hmm. who, I mean, would you say it's a director whose filmography is worth? sort of working through Stephen this is his best looking film by far okay. um, he doesn't hasn't made many and he's he seems to have made about eight or nine films um, but he did um, Double Tap which is a sort of a late Leslie Chung mm. police thriller which is very entertaining um, he did In the Senses Leslie Chung's last film so that's a that's a horror ghost story he did Coma which is Karina Lamb and somebody else in a sort of a psychological thriller based on the urban uh, urban legend of you know waking up in a bathtub and finding your kidney's been taken away. Um, very, very, all very, very entertaining films. Um, this feels, as, in terms of the production quality, the set design, the 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 costume, and. and and even even the music, this just seems to be a step up. But I've never really been disappointed with one of his films. It's usually more, it's usually very entertaining. Cool. Um, just obviously looking at the the critical praise. Robert Abel, the Los Angeles Times, gave a negative review, saying the film was visually stunning but emotionally empty, um, and it had no story but lots of action. Which goes to prove that he knows jack shit about film criticism. But, you know, maybe he's got some riveting spreadsheets to show me as well. <laughs> so, but further viewing, uh, what do you pair with this film? I mean, I'm a little limited on what I would actually put with this. I mean, my I think I mentioned both my films I would sort of recommend already, which would be like Detective D, Mystery of the Phantom Flame, or uh, if you want sort of more of the gunslinger element, then watch the uh, Good, the Bad, and the Weird. Uh, but, I mean, Stephen Kim, I mean, what would you sort of pair with this, if anything? I only have one that I thought of. So, um, <clears throat> it's the 1999 film Running Out of Time, also with uh, Sean Lau. And uh, it's with Andy Lau as well. Cool. Yeah. yeah. So, I've, Stephen? I've got four. <laughs> but that's because I've gone a slightly different route. Um, so... I, I think this is a bit of a stargazing film. I think there's, there's you know, we've talked at length about Nick Zay. Um, so if you're interested in him, I guess Kim and I have already listed a whole bunch of films. Um, so I was going to go for Bodyguards and Assassins for that. Um, Sean Lau is is a fantastic actor. Um, 
and he's got a huge back catalogue. Um, uh-huh. But in a completely different genre, one of his earliest film performances um, is the romantic sick girl movie, C'est la vie mon chéri, which I would highly recommend, but it's a completely different kind of thing. If you like the whole 1920s, 1930s look of this film, another one you could go for, this is a horror movie called The Matrimony, um, starring our favourite tax dodger, Fan Bing Bing, um, <laughs> is a beautiful looking thing with the same sort of set dressing, um, but it's a totally different sort of film. And for detective movies, um, there's a whole, there's, there's three of these films by Oxide Pangs, all starring Aaron Kwok, um, basically The Detective, The Detective 2, and The Conspirators, which is number three. But the first one, which I think is also called C Plus Detective, yeah, um, yeah. it's a completely different sort of detective, but it's fantastic. It's, it's just, I, I, I love all those films. Um, uh, it's a much more down on your luck, gritty well kind of thing um i think it's set in thailand actually but uh, yeah i'd I'd really recommend that as well yeah and obviously you mentioned about sean lowe he has got an absolutely stonking back catalog of both tv and film work then um another one i recommend which you didn't uh, mention already and that would be fairy tale killer uh which Mm. is kind of like seven where this uh he's going around and killing people off in various gruesome ways in using the theme of fairy tales to to uh, conform his murders. It gets a bit stupid at the end, but the the journey there is uh, is fun and it's got some interesting ideas. Um, as well as featuring a, a relative, obviously, showing a child with autism in there, which is something I've never seen in an Asian cinema film, so that was kind of interesting to see as well. But um, again, Sean Lowe is absolutely fantastic here, playing another sort of gruff inspector, um, drawn into a, a case that you get the feeling he'd rather not be involved in, so... But uh, yeah, that's sort of my my one other contribution to this. But um, thank you, obviously, Kim, for coming on and recommending uh, the Bullet Vanishes for us this evening. It's always a pleasure. I liked it. <laughs> I'm glad you liked it. I liked it. I saw about Stephen and him not liking <laughs> I it. I didn't not like it. I was just a bit <laughs> meh about it. But there was plenty to talk about, and well, you good. won't. You know, it's a stargazing cast, and it looks absolutely beautiful. Um, so, believe you me, Kim, we've watched worse. <laughs> <laughs> um, coming up on the next episode, it is episode 25, and we're going to, as we've said on previous episodes, we're actually making a bit of a big deal every time we hit that 25 episode mark. So, uh, the first of our big selections we're going to be looking at for episode 25 will be, of course, arguably one of the most important films in Asian cinema of the sort of last recent 20 odd years and that would be Battle Royale uh, we're going to be obviously discussing the absolute cult classic uh, looking at the inspiration of the source novel uh, the influence it really had on Asian cinema being imported to places such as the UK and the States and how it really sort of sparked the boom and revival of interest within Asian cinema which at that point was probably suffering from something of a lull we've only perhaps small areas of uh, genre cinema and art house cinema really getting imported across but 
they released the Battle Royale and uh, alongside Audition and the Rink really sort of opened the floodgates for many new and exciting directors to come across and we're certainly be looking at that on the next episode. Also uh, keep an eye out as we are going to be recording some bonus episodes we are going to be releasing the first of our personal sort of picks we've talked in the past of how we're going to be compiling a list of 50 films that we feel are so essential i'm going to be doing 25 steam's going to be doing 25 and uh the first of those lists um will be appearing very shortly as a bonus episode so make sure you keep you out for that and uh if you haven't done ready you know please leave us a rating or leave us uh some comments wherever you happen to be listening to us be it stitcher or podomatic or itunes it really helps with the show uh getting out there and getting more people to see the show and you can also interact with us both on facebook or twitter uh you can also check out our our blog which is uh, asiansimmerfilmclub.wordpress.com uh, on there we've got the full archive of episodes as well um, but until uh, next time again thank you Kim for coming on and uh, thank you of course to my co-host Stephen Palmer you're welcome and, and thank you Kim as well and uh, we'll be back next time to talk about Battle Royale hey きのうの恋は忘れて昨日のあの子は忘れて踊り続けていたい夜なのさ月が砕け散っても星が燃えて落ちても踊り続けていたい夜なのさ胸に刺さった恋の刃が燃える思いを狂わすのさ昨日の恋は忘れて昨日のあの子は忘れて踊り続けていたい夜なのさ